Amen. I want you to open up with me in Exodus chapter 33. And uh, I want to share about practicing the presence of God. Exodus 33, verse 16. And Moses prayed this prayer, verse 13. Now, if I found grace in your sight, show me your ways that I might know you and find grace in your sight. And consider this nation is your people. We're the people of God. And so Moses is asking that he might know how God moves. A lot of people know about God. Not so many people know God, nor how God works. And Moses' prayer is, show me your ways. A lot of people see God do something. They don't know how God does things. When you know God, how God does things, then you can have God work through your life. God wants to work through your life. But then he goes on to say this. This is the bit I want to get to. He said, uh, if you're pre- and, and God said in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And, and then Moses said, well, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us anywhere. For how will it be known that we are your people and that we have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? Then we shall we, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. How many know the Jewish nation is quite a distinctive nation and the center of an unusual amount of activity? Okay, then. But actually, God's plan is that his people, which is the church of the living God, be known and be distinctive because God is with us. You see, religion is all about reaching out to God and doing this and doing that. But God is interested in his presence being with us. His presence tangibly in us. Now, we know the world, that God is everywhere in the world, but God wants us to bring his presence tangibly with us wherever we go to release his peace, his life, his joy, his love, all that he has wherever we go, and that people can tell there's something different about you. You're not called to blend in and be like the crowd. You're called to be distinctive. When we want to be like the crowd, we make compromise. When we decide that we will bring Christ to the crowd and be distinctive, we stand out from people. How do we stand out? It's not just that we live a good life. A lot of people live a good life. And some of them seem to live, at least on the outside, better lives than a lot of Christians do. That's a bit of a reproach, isn't it? But however, the thing that makes a believer different is that we can carry and bring the supernatural presence and power of God to wherever we go. I learned how to do that as a young Christian, into a classroom and change the environment. Here you are with lots of teaching. You need to apply what you've learned and learn how to bring God with you, how to actually yield to the life of the Spirit of God, the presence of God to become conscious of Him and learn how to express that life. You see, when you have something from God and experience something from God, it must find an expression. A dead sea has got no overflow, but a living, flowing stream overflows. And Jesus' intention is to be an overflow of his presence and activity in our lives. Joy is an overflow of heaven. Love is an overflow of heaven. Uh, enthusiasm is an overflow of heaven. And passion is an overflow of heaven. See, excitement is an overflow of heaven. You see, there's a lot of things that are an overflow of heaven. We've got to decide what is influencing our life and what overflows out of it. 
If you just listen to the news and focus on the negative things in the paper and TV, pretty soon you'll still be the same as everyone around you. But you can't, God wants us to be different, to be the most positive uh, people who can have an influence because God is with us. See, so the Bible says now in Romans 15, 13, now the God of all peace, the God of all hope, fill you with joy and peace through believing that you might abound in hope. So God's plan clearly is that our lives abound with joy. Uh, it should show on the face for a start. Big smile, warmth, happy to see people, glad to reach out to them. Huh? That's what it shows like. And, and that's a part of expressing what God is like. He not, there's no sadness or heaviness or sorrow in heaven. God calls us to express joy from our spirit. Hey, peace in our heart. We have a peace which can be given to people. It calms them down. See, there's something of a spiritual substance of God can impact the lives of people. But we've got to discover and connect with God and allow that life to overflow. It's a wonderful life, a joyful life, a life extending God's blessing to others. I want us to just look. We're going to look a little further. I want to go into another scripture now in Mark. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 21, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, I want to just share with you some things about the realm of the Spirit, and particularly about bringing the presence of God wherever we go. And there are at least two keys, probably many, but there's at least two major keys for connecting us to the supernatural realm of the Spirit. The first one is the key of faith, the key of faith. In, in Matthew chapter 9, 21, there's a crowd of people thronging Jesus, and one woman in the middle of it experienced a life-changing miracle. There was something in her life that connected to Jesus and drew from him supernatural power into her life that changed her. What was the thing that was there? Jesus acknowledged it and said, that woman had faith. Your faith is what made you whole. Now, how did he find the faith? Well, he felt power flow out of him. And he looked around and said, who touched me? And then the woman came up and she admitted she had touched Jesus, but she, everyone had been touching him, but one person had something that released the life of God. And that woman had faith. And the Bible says in verse 21, an interesting thing. It describes a little bit about her inner life. It said, for she said within herself, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. She was saying things inside herself. You see, the woman obviously believed in her heart. And when you believe in your heart, you'll say things to yourself. You'll talk to yourself. You will actually have a confession inside yourself. Every person has got words going on inside them. You are talking to yourself all the time. Thoughts are going through you which you are agreeing with all the time. And how you talk on the inside will certainly flow outside you and it reflects what you are feeding on. So if inside you there's hope, you will be saying to yourself, well, this is a great day today, isn't it? See? And tomorrow, well, that's a great day too. But you see, if you've got despair, you say, oh, dear, another day. Oh, wonder what's in this. Wonder what's ahead of me today. What you've got going on in your heart will find an expression inside you and outside you. 
So we have to begin to look at what you're talking to yourself about. What are you saying to yourself about yourself? Oh, I'm not much good. I'm a bit of a failure, really. Never think I'll get anywhere. You're talking that way. You're describing your future. What you're saying about yourself is how you live your life out. What you're saying about God is how you relate to God. What you're saying about your circumstances is how you'll connect with and what will happen. Inevitably, these things begin to outwork in your circumstances. But when there's faith in our heart, then we talk to ourselves a certain way. God is with me. Presence of God is here. I thank you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within me and is making me alive today. A different kind of talk. And you need to talk like that. Well, I don't talk like that. Well, I didn't either. And I was just as depressed as some of you are. Probably more so. I used to have days of it. Go on for days. Black dog days I used to have. Until I changed how I believe and began to start to operate in faith. You have to speak. You have to speak with your mouth and speak in yourself what God says. So faith locks you in and gives you access to the realm of God. If you're going to carry the presence of God, you must believe that where you go, God goes with you. That where you are, God is with you. That what you say will have impact. You have to have faith in your heart. Without faith, you can't please God. You just become religious. And religion, it's like taking a medication. You ever seen someone who's got a major mental illness and they're on medication? They aren't alive and vibrant and alert. The medication shuts them down. The Bible uses the word sorcery, which is in the Greek, it's word we get pharmacy from. When people get... Onto those kind of things, they come under a spirit of sorcery, shuts them down. That's why Paul said to the Galatian church, who has bewitched you and shut you down from operating spiritually? We've got to guard that our life remains vibrant and alive and free from influences. So we can walk with God, have to operate in faith, believing God each day, holding his word in our heart. There's another scripture there in Mark chapter 9, and I think verse 22, there's a young man, there's a man there, father, and his son has got demons. And the Bible says he came to Jesus, and Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. If you get biblical faith in your heart, if you will let your heart embrace and not doubt the word of God, then you will tap into the realm of God and see miracles happen. You will see God's power released to change something that can't be changed naturally. Faith connects you to the realm of God, not religion. You can come in and out of services, sing songs, but never touch God. You can do all kinds of good works and never touch God. God wants us to let real biblical living faith rise up. Part of it is how you're talking and what you're saying to yourself, in yourself, and then outside yourself. We've got to make a decision that we will connect with God through what we're saying to ourselves. that we agree with what God has to say. If God says that I am a forgiven person, I'm a forgiven person. So I need to say it. 
I am a forgiven person. If God says I'm a loved person, I need to say it. I am loved, accepted, valuable. I need to agree with what God says. Confess. Say the same thing that God says. He says that's sin. I need to say that's sin. If he says that's faith, I need to say I'm a man of faith. I walk that way. So faith locks us into the supernatural realm of God. There's a second thing locks you in, and that is your imagination. Your imagination, your imagination will access the realm of the spirit. Why? You think about this. First of all, think, just have a think about our imagination. Your imagination will either connect you to the realm of demons and open your life to demons, or it will connect you to the realm of God and open your life to the Holy Spirit. I tell you now, it's absolutely without a doubt that where your imagination goes, then your inner life goes and you open yourself. Bible tells us the light of the body is the eye. In other words, what you're seeing, not just with your natural eye, but what you're seeing on the inside, what you're thinking about. So your imagination is a creative faculty God gave you. Your imagination enables you to picture something you have not seen yet. Your imagination enables you to see a building you've never built. And then you can work and build that building. And it started in your imagination. Then it found a reality in the real world. So almost everything you see that someone designed and built, it all started in an imagination. And it moved from imagination into reality in the physical world. So your imagination is a creative part of your life. And your imagination must be kept clean. It must be kept uh, uh, refreshed with the Word of God and by decision that you will meditate and use your imagination to create the kind of world God wants you to have. And so uh, I had some interesting experience while away. I want to share a little bit about it with you. Uh, I don't know whether I've got a scripture on it. I'll just see if oh, there's heaps of scriptures, of course. In, uh, in, uh, uh, where is it? Let's have a look. In, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 8 and around about verse 12. The Bible shows, in Ezekiel sees a picture and he sees a picture and it's of the church of Jesus Christ. And it's actually of people who are supposed to be in leadership, uh, who are in leadership roles, who were supposed to be thinking and living their life quite differently. And what he saw was, he, God showed them a picture. And what he saw was, he saw a picture and he saw all of these people worshipping. He saw them all in a room and they were worshipping all kind of idols. And he was astonished. And, he, and, and the Lord spoke to him and said, these are people who are supposed to be leading. And they are, they've got idols, they're worshipping. And he was quite shocked. And then God expands it and it says, in the chambers or rooms of their imagination, they have these vain things set up. So he wasn't talking about a physical idol. He was talking about the imagination. And in the imagination, there were figures, there were things that had been shaped and formed by men. An idol is something shaped by a person. He said, in their imagination, they had things that they were opening their life to and worshiping, and they were coming ahead of God. So on, on the Sabbath, they would come and worship God. But how they were living their life was they had rooms, uh, part of their life, open to the spirit world where they were worshiping idols. And it was opening their life to demonize them. So they were not living a life God intended. Because mostly when you read that, you think Old Testament. 
Well, I saw something interesting last week that was just fascinating for me. I had a, uh, the Lord began to speak to me while I was in the Bible school, and we had a lot of young people in the Bible school. A lot of young people in the Bible school. You know, just heaps of them, about over between six and seven hundred people there. Uh, some of them older, but a lot of them were young. And, uh, and anyway, the Lord began to speak to me about video games and the internet. And, uh, He began to talk to me about how this whole area of the internet has become a, a front line for sorcery to invade young people in this generation and defile them. And I had been up in uh, Taiwan, and we'd done our freedom retreat, and the pastor said, we, I got feedback, and he said, well, look, Chinese are into divination, but they're not into sorcery. And, uh, and when he told me that, he explained, well, I explained, asked him what he meant, he told me what he meant, I thought, oh, it's interesting, I'll, I'll have a think about that one. And then the following week, I'm in there in the Bible school, and the Lord says, well, you've got to understand, sorcery in the 21st century has become incredibly sophisticated. And so the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and uh, I, I brought it out. I knew there were heaps of people should respond. There was one girl put her hand up, and this is what she said. I brought her up to the front and got to stand in front of me and uh, asked, thanked her for her courage in coming up in front of all the students. And uh, she said, well, she played video games, and she had become quite addicted to them. And uh, she used to, and asked for a specific type of game. I said, those who are playing role-playing games, where you enter this fantasy world or virtual world and play another role, you take on an identity, a character, and then you begin to live through that character in a virtual world. And uh, I was particularly interested in those that were into games where there was sorcery, magic, or anything like that uh, uh, involved. And she came out and said, yes, you've been involved in this game called Warcraft. And she also added in, uh, I've played it 24 hours nonstop. I said, can you pray 24 hours nonstop? She said, no. Said, well, what kind of power must be behind the thing that it can occupy your attention for 24 hours? Isn't that amazing, eh? And so even as I began to speak, she was shaking there. I said, what are you feeling? She said, I'm feeling afraid. I feel like I want to run out of the room. I said, is that right? Well, that's not you that's feeling afraid. That's a demon inside you. Actually, it's a spirit of sorcery. And I could see that the majority of the young ones were struggling with this. And so I said to them, well, look, this is what Jesus said. He said, uh, thou shalt, the Bible says in, in the law, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. So talking about the physical act of adultery. So we asked people, do you commit adultery? No. But then Jesus added and said, but actually said, if you look after, look for a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery. So he said, the longing in the heart or the lusting in the heart is where the, in the imagination is where the seed is birthed out of which adultery physically manifests. No one commits adultery without it first being in the heart. When it's in the heart, you have connected to the spirit of adultery. So you can be connected to the spirit of adultery and yet not have yet committed physical adultery. So I said, now, in terms of sorcery, if I ask you how many of you have been doing sorcery, no, you're not going to put your hand up. But how many of you in a game have opened your heart, taken on a character, a persona, an identity, and then begin to work your way up a game, playing and throwing spells and curses and destroying imaginary virtual people and so on? How many of you done that? Well, heaps of them. I said, when you did that, you opened your life to a spirit of sorcery. You have actually connected to the spirit of sorcery and given it room to enter your life. You are in agreement with it. And they were quite shocked. 
And I said, so you have opened a doorway through your imagination into the virtual world and it's allowed you to connect with demons and not even know it. And he said, I bet your parents don't know what you're up to. And, of course, there'll be a lot of parents here, and you don't know what kind of games your children are watching. They say they're on the computer, just playing a few computer games. You, like me, you probably think snakes and ladders. You know, games, that's about that my level, Monopoly and that kind of sort of stuff. But, you know, today the games have become incredibly sophisticated, and people go into those games, and not all of them are bad, but, you know, there's a whole realm of games now where people are connecting into demonic realm. We had one guy there, and he had, uh, and, and just before we got there to Singapore, he had attacked his professor with a knife and then committed suicide, jumped off a building as a young man. Turns out he had been in this virtual world, and he had a girl. Now, he never met the girl. They were just partners on the Internet playing in a game together as a, as a, like a husband-wife team. And they had gone a long way up in this game, really actually done very, very well. And then she wanted out, wanted to go off on her own, and he then manifested, majorly manifested, because his life had found he'd got connected into the demonic realm. And now when she stepped out of it, he felt all the same emotions and uh, turmoil and everything as if he'd gone through a real divorce. There's a whole game there called uh, uh, called uh, Second Life. People go in there and live another life. So they've got a life which is virtual and in the fantasy realm and a life there which is natural. And the one which is natural is boring and they can't control it, manage it or enter it or live in it properly. So they go into one they can control through the buttons and get management over it and remain uh, in some sense the illusion of being remote and distant and in control, but in reality engaging with spirits. Whoa. Now good, bound into it. So I got an altar call. Well, anyway, sorry, I finished the story. Prayed for the girl. She just, I got her to renounce the game and the identity she's taken on, and we just broke its power over her. She began to scream, fell on the ground. Demons, spirits of sorcery come out of her. Then I had an altar call, got them all up there. I said, you don't think you're into sorcery, but you're just like in that scripture. Really, you are coming to worship God on Sunday, and yet you're in sorcery the rest of the week. They were shocked. Came up, we had a huge altar call, and they were just from one end to the other, screaming as demons came out of them. Sorcery. Marketed cleverly for the 21st century, for the young generation coming up. Why? Because they're called into the realm of the supernatural. They're called to represent God. They're called to carry the presence of God. They're called to carry the life of God. And this is a seductive trap to try and get them into something as a substitute for the real. Whoa, glory to God. Come on. So that was great to see them all get set free. Absolutely wonderful and amazing. But you know something? You know, you can enter the realm of the spirit. See, fear is a spirit. You begin to meditate and imagine the bad future. Soon you'll start to feel fear, and fear will grip your life, and then fear will hold your life. And how did it get there? You just imagined all the worst things that could happen. Before you know it, something's come around you. You hold an imaginary conversation with someone. You never actually talk with them. And in your head, you said this, then they said that, then you said this, they said that. Before you know it, you're all in a stew and you're connected with demons. This is how the spirit world opens up to people. They don't understand. And we need to understand and know how to guard our heart, to guard our words, to guard our imaginations and to speak strongly. 
Pornography opens up the same kind of deal. People think they're just getting into dots and, and whatever, but in the end what they're doing is connecting with a spirit of aversion. Get locked in on it. One taste. And you can be hooked. I just prayed for a pastor's, a pastor and his son. One look and he was hooked. It can only be a spirit. Can only be a spirit. Can only be a spirit. See? Now, but what you learn from it is this. Not just the bad side of how, you know, you get into these things. You know, you don't want to rise up and say, well, all stuff is bad. You've got to discern what's good and what's evil and not throw everything out. You've got to learn what's good and what's evil. Discern right and wrong. Discern where God's moving, where he isn't moving, and discern if there's something bad there. And the only way you can do that is if you can have the real. So if a person can, through their imagination, connect with demons... Clearly, a person in the realm of their imagination can connect with, engage with, and bring the presence of God to manifestation in their life. So your imagination, see, the devil is not original. He just subverts the things that God creates. So God has designed us that through faith and what we have in our heart, we connect with the realm of the Spirit, then we can connect with God by believing. If God has designed us that our imagination provides a gateway into spiritual experience, then we can use our imagination, meditate, dwell on the Word of God until we engage with God and begin to experience Him. My, wonderful, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. In Psalm 77 and uh, verse 6, it says, I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. So there's a connection between uh, meditating in your heart and the activity of your spirit. Isn't that interesting? That what you meditate on affects your, your body and the chemicals in it and whether you feel at peace or not. And what you meditate on affects your spirit. And what you meditate on opens you up to something. And everyone meditates, everyone imagines, everyone dreams, everyone thinks stuff. What are you connecting to? See, God has designed it that we would meditate in his word and connect with him. That we would use our imagination and begin to see the truth of God's word and allow our inner man to reach out and savor that truth, hold that truth, draw that truth into our heart and begin to engage with the Spirit of God. It's how we're designed to operate. We're designed that way. Let me share with you some simple steps, how you can begin to open your life and begin to start to engage the presence of God much more consistently. Very, very simple steps. First one is you need to free up your spirit. Speaking in tongues is a great way to free your spirit. Need to be freed up on the inside. When we pray strongly in tongues, we energize our spirit man. Our spirit is praying. Our whole inner man, after a while, he begins to pray in tongues. Your spirit man comes alive. Starts to arise within you. You find a person who's passive and heavy and shut down. There's a spirit of heaviness is sitting on them because they agreed with its words and agreed with its pictures. And you can't afford to be passive. You can't afford to be passive. You must make a decision, all of us, that day by day I will rise up, that the Spirit of God will mightily rise within me. We must make that decision every day or we can't answer the problems. We just are like everyone around us, full of heaviness and discouragement. 
First, free up your spirit through praying in tongues. Two, I must extend my faith, believing that as I reach out and draw near to God, He will draw near to me, it says in in James 4 verse 8. If I will draw near, he will draw near. So if I will begin to stir my spirit man and begin to focus my imagination and thoughts, I can draw near to God. See, a lot of people live and in their consciousness it feels like God's a long way off. But he isn't a long way off. They're just conscious of that because they've lived that way for so long. So number one, free up your spirit. Two, extend your faith. Third, focus your thoughts to begin to meditate and dwell on the reality of the Word of God. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real. That's His job. Begin to picture Him. How would I meditate on the joy of God, on the love of God, on the compassion of God? Well, I was spending a little bit of time recently in Mark chapter 1, and and what I did was did the various things I've just told you, and I began to meditate on Jesus meeting the leper in Mark chapter 1. And and as I was meditating and trying to picture what that leper looked like, I took the story of the Bible and began to imagine that leper. I read up on leprosy, began to form a picture and asked the Holy Spirit to make it real. And suddenly in the middle, as I was just meditating on that scripture, suddenly I saw his eyes. It was like that. I couldn't see all the details. I could see his eyes. So as I began to prime the pump of imagination using the word of God and meditate and picture, I suddenly saw them. I have never seen such despair in my life. Despair. Total despair. Without hope. Deep pain. And this rising faith and hope that Jesus Christ could make a difference. I was quite shocked at what I saw. I felt, I felt something rise up inside. I felt tears rise up. And I wanted to reach out and help him. And I realized I was feeling the compassion of Jesus. Ah. And so I just began to turn around in my imagination. Instead of being alongside Jesus looking at the leper, stand where the leper was and take his place and look at Jesus and see what compassion looks like and feels like. I began to weep to see compassion in his eyes, to feel the spiritual reality and substance of what it is to have a compassionate God who loves me and understands what comes around my life and how much I need his help. You see, that's what meditation does. It connects you to the reality of what God's Word says. So you need to free up your spirit Free up your spirit, extend your faith. So I just spend time in the Word of God to get it very clear in my mind and heart. Then you need to focus your attention to meditate, dwell and picture, imagine it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And as your thoughts begin to focus on it, your feelings begin to arise and agree with what you're thinking about. How many know if you begin to think about food right now, you'll be very hungry? You begin to picture there and close your eyes and you begin to see it. There it is, that great big steak oh and it's got a bowl of mushroom sauce right alongside it oh and it's just cooked so beautiful I'm hungry already I think I need to finish go for lunch now do you understand your body literally will respond to the meditation of your heart see so imagine instead instead of meditating on something like that 
you began to consciously meditate and focus on Jesus and allow the feelings of that to rise in your heart. And then you just kept repeating that over and over and over. Each day you go back to the same place of meditating on him, beginning to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see him and, and to feel him. And you stay there picturing the word of God, picturing Jesus as the word describes him until your feelings respond. And you do that every day. And you do that during the day. Stop for a moment. Just stop everything you're doing and just redirect your attention back. And then suddenly you begin to feel him again. And there he is. I did it one day. I began to meditate on Jesus being full of joy. And I just started to, well, what would a joyful person look like? You don't have to be smart to figure that one out, do you? I figured a joyful person's got the biggest grin you've ever seen. And I just began to look and just see the sort of the outline of Jesus just before me and began to meditate on his joy and being joyful. And suddenly I saw it. And when I saw his joy, the biggest smile I have ever seen, I felt myself smile and joy began to rise up inside. I had connected with the Spirit of Christ, with the joy that's in Him. Began, in fact, I was grinning and laughing all the way to church that day. Laughing and laughing and laughing. I was laughing so much. I felt the joy. You see, you connect with spiritual reality through meditation. So why don't you just throw Now the simple key. Free up your spirit. There it is. What do we got here? A note. All right. I forgot to say something about that. So let's just close our eyes. We draw to an end right now. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you close your eyes? And we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. See, the keys are quite simple. Free up. Well, we're fairly free. We've been worshiping God for a while, and we're fairly free. See, use your faith. Do you believe? Are you willing to extend your faith and believe that Jesus would show himself and reveal himself to you can you dare to believe that if you'll draw near to him he will draw near to you I believe he will well there it is so you begin to focus your thoughts and begin to meditate on him Jesus there's many aspects of what he's like I've started to go around the Bible looking for ways he revealed himself and starting to look to experiencing him but one of my favorites of all favorites is to meditate in Jesus being my shepherd, friend. I grew up, didn't have very many friends, felt very alone. And here's a good friend, Jesus. There's no friend like him. So I began to meditate on him being my shepherd. He's more than just a friend. He's a provider, a protector. He loves me. So as you close your eyes, try to see that. Let your thoughts see it. There's Jesus about a meter in front of you. He's your friend. Eyes full of compassion, full of love, not a bit of judgment. You can always tell if people are judging you. You can always tell if they're withholding from you, but you don't see that with Jesus. His eyes are bright, looking straight into you with love and acceptance embracing you as you look you see his warmth of his face because if a person is your friend their face is warm when they see you not harsh or frowning or severe 
but warm. There's a smile. I'm so glad to meet with you. His arms reached out because people who are welcoming you usually reach their arms out. I went to the airport. People reach their arms out. If ordinary people do that, I'm sure Jesus does that. So I can allow my imagination to go there. And as I begin to focus on him, the Holy Spirit turns it into reality. Jesus, my friend, in your heart, reach out, open your inner man, and just reach out to him and embrace him. Jesus, my friend, you look at his hands, you can still see the nail marks where he went to the cross for you. He's your friend. He's a friend who loves at all times, no matter what anyone else is doing. You will never be alone anymore if you can be conscious that Jesus is with you. Allow your imagination to focus on him, your faith to arise. Jesus, thank you for your presence. I receive your love, your friendship. Thank you, Lord. See, his presence is here now. Come, Lord. The presence just begin to touch people's lives. Well, I did it every day, quite a long time, until it became very easy to just close my eyes and in a moment become aware that God is with me. So you start off by exercising your faith and using your imagination and then the Holy Spirit begins to put a flow of life in it. It takes on a life of its own and you begin to feel Jesus and he begins to talk to you. And the more you feel him, the more that memory will be imprinted into your life and the easier it will be to go back and just discover that place with him again. And during the day when things are in turmoil and you're anxious, you shut the door, just quieten and calm yourself, energize your spirit, calm your mind, and refocus there again on him. And there he is. My friend, I felt his presence fill a car so strongly, I just wept. I felt his presence fill the rooms that I've been in when I've prayed. I just wept. It's like heaven opened up. And God was real. And this can be for you too. It is for you. You choose whether your faith will cause you to speak words inside yourself affirming the truth of God, whether your imagination will focus consciously on things that will open your inner man to the life of God. You choose that. I just feel His presence here right now. Maybe someone here, of course, is you're not yet a Christian. Well, it'd be a great day for you to give your life to Jesus. It'd be a great day for you to say, I want to become a Christian. If you are, I'd love you to raise your hand right now so I can see you. If you want to become a Christian, give your life to Jesus. Why don't you just put your hand up so I can see. Is there anyone here today give their life to Jesus Christ? Oh, no one. There's someone here. It's your day to make a decision to receive Jesus. Become a Christian. Give your life to the Lord.
It's a great day to do that. Is there anyone here? Raise your hand. So that's me. I'm ready now. Well, for the rest of us, I encourage you to daily commit to building intimacy with the Lord. And daily commit that what you experience, you'll share with someone else. You begin to pray and believe for your friends to get saved. See, when you reach out to your friends, a lot of the time we haven't really prayed. We just hope something had happened. But you see, if day by day you could begin to see your friend, and instead of seeing their hard face and hard heart, and even before you ask, you doubt they'll say yes. If you, before you do that, you just see them before God, and they've got their hands lifted and they're worshiping God, and you begin to declare, well, I thank you, Lord. That friend of mine has already responded. Thank you, you've drawn them. I see them now being drawn by God. See them in that place. You pray that and thank the Lord every day. <clears throat> One day you'll know in your heart, oh, that's as good as done. I remember being in a meeting one time and came into the meeting. There's a woman in a wheelchair. I thought, oh, blows. They'll ask me to pray for her at the end of the meeting. She'll be stuck in the wheelchair. won't work. The Lord rebuked me, told me off and said, you need to meditate in my amazing power to raise people out of a wheelchair. And so I did. While everyone else was worshipping, I was just thinking about Jesus raising the woman and suddenly saw her stand up. I thought, oh, she's going to be healed. And she was healed that day. She walked home because I wouldn't let unbelief control my heart. Her life was changed because I believed. I wonder who around you would be changed because you would be a believer. Being a believer is more than just coming to meetings. It's about a lifestyle of believing God is with me. Of believing God answers prayer. And he answers my prayer. And he touches my friends. And wherever I go, God will give me an opportunity to be a blessing and to reveal what he's like to someone. Words, actions, kindness, hope, friendship, acts of mercy. And through his tangible presence. That Muslim imam, the grand imam, he couldn't get the right words to it. He just said, I felt good when you prayed. He felt God. Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing now. Make us a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, passionate Holy Ghost Church. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you reach out and just come someone next to you a hug and tell them, look them in the eyes, tell them, you're very valuable to God. You're very valuable to the Lord. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. See, he sees what they could be. Maybe you look and you see a leper. Well, let compassion rise up. Maybe you look and you see a problem. Let compassion rise up and see a solution. Amen. Enjoy the presence of God here today. Praise the Lord. Just a couple of things just before we finish. Why don't we just stand and just lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you today for your presence here. Father, I just pray blessing upon every Bay City person here. Those who are visiting with us, let your anointing power and presence go with them. Every day growing stronger and stronger and stronger. Let the glory of God increase on their lives. And Father, let people in our community be impacted in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap, shall we?